Hello Life Changes Church, thank you so much for joining us today. We've got an amazing word for you, so get your pens and your notebooks ready because God wants to speak to you today. Enjoy. I'd like to speak today, I called it Courageous Conflict, but I would like to call it Courageous Conversations. I want to call us to be a people of courage who understand and not just believe in the benefits of having courageous conversations, but have something of a theology as to why that's important and helpful for us. And the big idea is that God would bring peace and harmony, not just to our church, but to our worlds. But here's the thing. Jesus calls us to be peacemakers, not just peace lovers. He's called us to be the agents of peace and reconciliation in the world, which comes with a mandate. And it's not one most people like. I'm even, right now I can feel the room sucking the air out a little because most people are like, I hate having courageous conversations. It's the worst thing in my life to have a tough conversation with someone. And so I want to empower the church to be a people who can live a different life. Paul challenged, and he writes this to one, in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church because there's chaos going on. There's the life of God in the church, but there's chaos going on in every other area. And one of the areas is relational brokenness, where there are people in the church suing people in the church. So he writes this, Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody you, among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one brother takes another brother to court, and this in front of unbelievers? The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Highball. I'm not going to teach you today how to win a conflict either. That's not my agenda. Actually, if anything, I'm encouraging you how to lose. Because to be like Jesus is to embrace a life where you understand that to, to, that to lose now is to win in the long term. That if I'm prepared to lose a conversation, lose an engagement, ultimately so that Christ gets glorified, my life has counted into eternity for more. And when I understand and buy into that principle that to lose is to gain, I understand something of Jesus who went to a cross that he could have avoided. If you think he had no say of it, you're wrong. He's the king of kings. He had every say over it. And he chose to go like a lamb to the slaughter so that we could be one. So that the millions who couldn't make their way to the Father could make their way to the Father. And I want to present today that I understand most people have chosen a journey of conflict avoidance. Most people. Um, it's where I, I understand that I can just do everything to avoid any conflict. If I just don't have that conversation, that person will be fine. If I don't speak about this, that will be fine. And I want to encourage in the room today spouses, husband and wives to have courageous conversations where there's been frustrations building and resentment building and it just sits underneath deep down inside. I want to speak to employers and employees. Have the conversations with courage as a son and daughter of the living God. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was telling him, I read a statistic this week. In America, right now, of every, all of America, one in 300 people is a lawyer or, an, or, or a or yeah, lawyer. In the, and I thought, there we go, in an interesting environment. That changed all from 1992 when a lady sued McDonald's and won $2.5 million for the coffee being too hot. And America thought, here we go. Give me one of those guys. But the world and the church have to be different. We have to be the people who are prepared to deal with the elephant in the room. And 
here's the thing. If you ever come into this church or any other church and someone declares, this is a conflict-free zone, they're lying because there are more than two people in the room. It, it, it's about people. It's about the world we live in that is fallen and broken. And the fact that God has us all on a journey and conflict is inevitable. The world is broken economically, socially, systematically, sexually, in every area. And God is a God of peace, yes, but we live in a world where the enemy specializes in chaos. So what's the mandate? Paul reminds us in Romans 12, says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible. The problem is that's already been answered in Jesus because Jesus says all things are possible. So it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I understand it's a massive statement. I understand that it's completely opposite to the world we live in. Completely. Completely. Is, the world says, you took that from me, I'm going to take this from you. That's the world we live in. And we have mechanisms and ways that celebrate that. But I would present to you that every time there's the potential for a conflict, there's also the opportunity for God's grace to invade. And I want to give you something of a gospel theology for that. So there's a situation that played out in the book of Galatians. Now, in the book of Galatians, if you understand the context, there's a battle going on, and it's a battle going on for the essence of the gospel, that God's grace is enough, that you don't need to add your behaviors, your best dress for church, nothing. You just have the gospel of grace. But there's a battle going on. And amidst that battle, Paul realizes his mate Cephas, or Peter, starts changing his behaviors to satisfy those of the religious circumcision group. And he turns, no, 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 no. That affects the essence of the gospel. And so this is how it goes down. Now, I know you realize everyone in Jesus' crew would have been the nicest guys in the world. Well, let me just present to you, Jesus put together a laboratory for conflict. Twelve guys. I've got a little laboratory at home. It's called Judah, Ben, and Daniel. So it's a little lab rats. I'm learning how to deal with that. But Jesus took 12, and he, he, took, he took guys like, like Judas. You know, Judas liked the money and selling some tickets on the side for the Jesus show. Then there's the tax collector. No one liked him. No one wanted the tax collector in the crew. Then the zealots, the ones who are zealous for religion, the others who are zealous for politics, they weren't slow to pick up a sword and cut someone's ear off for God. Then the, the fishermen... I mean, that's a crew you put together and they walk together for, and no one likes walking anyway. Now he says you're going to walk together for three years. He put together a laboratory to teach us how to do the stuff. And so Paul, who's the new kid in the town, he's the, he's the apostle who wasn't part of the 12, but God raises up. He comes to challenge Peter and it goes like this. When Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Just stop there. I opposed him to his face, not because I stood condemned, because he stood condemned. His heart and his motivation is for the other individual and their influence. He says, for before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles 
to follow Jewish customs. It's this high noon standoff that any Western wouldn't live up to of the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter or Cephas standing there fighting for something of the essence of the gospel that most people would have thought is inconsequential. Paul knew it was of massive consequence, not just for the gospel and the spreading of the gospel, but for his partner in the gospel, Peter. But we've got to come to those situations and read and understand that the high points of the history of God's people are not stories of people moving away from conflict, but generally stories of people moving towards conflict. I'm not encouraging the battle zone of the church. I'm encouraging a people who have a theology of understanding that when we have God at our hearts and we engage in His ways, His kingdom can come. It's what peacemaking looks like. And so we see the apostle, he gets in his face. He says to his face. He doesn't tell his disciples. He doesn't dear him. He doesn't post on Facebook. He gets in his face. The challenge is, that in the church world, this has been exacerbated. If you look at the statistics, as the Barna Group have just done statistics in the American church, the rates of Christians suing Christians are no different to the world suing the world, and the rates of divorce, unfortunately. And yet, we have to be different. We are the signs and wonders pointing to the Son of God. That's who we are. So if you've been to our partnership course, you'll know we talk about a few ways that people like to deal with conflict that become very evident in the church. The first one is the hair or the bunny, meaning someone offends me, I'm out of here. It's like I'm triggered by the way they poured that coffee onto the next church pool. And the, the church whirlpool around Cape Town begins to flow with people bouncing and you'll see it. And maybe you need to sit down and have a conversation with yourself. I do that often. I talk to myself. My wife thinks it's crazy. It's very productive. And... Um, and, but if there's this cycle of systematic movement, it's possibly, probably because there's a cycle of inability to overcome some hurdles in relationships that are inevitable. I promise you now, someone in this room will offend you. I promise you. They will trigger your stuff. They will be different in preference. They like their coffee steaming hot and you like to pour it just right. It happens. But God says, if you can learn that here, then we become a sign and a wonder. And we become a blessing to the world where we go and make peace. And we are the peacemakers in the marketplace rather than the chaos bringers. And so the second one is the tortoise. And you've seen this one. It's the person you get close to and then something happens and they just... And you're like, hello? Hello? So you, are, are you all right? And, I'm fine. But you're not fine. You're in here. It's like, if you can get in here, you can talk to me. But if you can't get in here, and we just pull into our tortoise shell, and we think we're safe, but I promise you, you're dying. I promise you. In the Bible, there are narrative stories all the way through of people being pulled out of smallness and caves. Why? Because nothing good grows in a cave. Nothing good grows when we stay in our shell either. This is not extrovert, introvert. This is an ability to engage relationships. What about the snake? And we, we've seen this one. It's, if you've ever seen a black mamba in full flight, they can get up on one third of their body and it's struck at any instant. And we've seen that. It's the people who've learned to fight back. People who've had models of parents and teachers in their world who've taught them, fight back. So someone comes with an accusation. I'm going to give you a big accusation. I'm going to strike back. And it causes chaos and brokenness. And it's not Jesus. And lastly, my personal favorite, the peacock. 
What do I mean? Well, the peacock, you bring a challenge to the peacock, and the peacock thinks, what am I going to do? I'm just going to get bigger. And the wings come out, and next to the color, and, the, and next to me, you're talking to someone that I look at them and all their grandeur, and they're getting bigger physically, emotionally, in volume, and the peacock is peacocking. The only problem is the peacock's glory diminishes when you look at God's glory to nothing. And so we can make ourselves as big as we want, but if we only ever learn to peacock with people, we'll never be able to engage relationally. So God says, I need to teach you my ways, not just in the ways of, of this and that, but the ways of dealing with conversations that require courage. So I want to jump because there's two big things here. Number one, his glory is at stake. If, if we as the church are not different in our engagements and our abilities to navigate challenge and trial, I promise you, he gets no glory and God is jealous for his glory. And secondly, there's a mandate. We are peacemakers. We are sent out into the world. Yes, accountants, teachers, lawyers, every single one of you are sent out in the world not to bring and make chaos, but to bring his peace. So Jesus teaches us. And he charges us and he challenges us. I would present to you that unresolved conflict has three big impacts. Number one, it affects our fellowship with God. It says this in Matthew 5, Jesus' teaching says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So you're on your way to give your gift to the altar, and oh, there's an unresolved relationship. Leave first. But I'm here to worship. No, leave. Fix it. I love the testimony. One of the greatest testimonies of last year was the lady who heard the word of God preached. It might have been this year. Got on a plane the next day or that week to fix a broken relationship with a brother that had been broken for decades. It's the greatest testimony of the year for me. Why? Because it's not about your convenience. And it's not about, well, I, I could, I, I've done a much. I sent an email. I'm telling you now, an email is far below the standard that God demands of us. And I'll explain that as we go forward. Secondly, reconciliation takes, it hinders my prayers. It even says in 1 Peter 3, Husbands, treat your wife with respect. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as, they, as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious life gift of God so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Oh, I'm just going to remain... In total brokenness, relation everywhere, me and my Jesus in my room. Oh, Jesus, hear my prayers. He's saying, sorry, God, here's squat. Are you saying something? Sorry, God, hear you. Go to your brother. Go fix it. I'm just telling you, that's what it's saying. And lastly, it affects your joy. I don't know about you, but, but unfortunately in my life and in the role that I've had in the position, there's been times where, where there has been a, a, a period, necessary period of resolution that's needed to come in relationship. I hate it. I promise you now, whether someone filled the communion cups this Sunday or turned the lights on at church does not keep me up at night. But where there are relational strains, that's what keeps me up. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. Why? Because I honestly believe it affects not just my human relationship, but my ability to walk in the fullness that God has with me. I hope I'm making a case to you to rise up, not to become the fighters. Some of your husbands are nervous. Oh, my wife's going to have a courageous conversation. Well, we, I better plan lunch and dinner and I better wash the car. Just relax. <laughs> couple of seven simple points from a pastor. Is that all right? Number one, be quick out the blocks. 
bring out the elephant in the room. <laughs> Whatever it is. And, you know, some of the greatest testimonies from the Unashamed series. And there were healings and God did stuff. But just the greatest things were the married couples who've been married for decades and, 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 and needed to have some conversations. I don't need to know what the conversations are. I just need to know that it happened. That the grace of God can start to invade because we had the courage to trust Him, to have the difficult conversation. I want to tell you the greatest lie that gets told, and I've said it before in this pulpit, at every funeral. Don't stand up at the next funeral when He says it, just relax. But it's this that time heals. Time does not heal anything. Time gives you an opportunity to get more plasters, more makeup to cover it, more scar tissue to get over the pain, but the pain's still there. We just find ways of avoiding it. Time doesn't heal. A healer heals. And accessing the healing of God in our relationships, in our challenged relationships, allows the healer to get in and heal. So we need to navigate, but I want to tell you, don't let time go by. Because as much as time doesn't heal, the enemy doesn't stop. He loves to play in the dark. He loves to bring chaos. And I realized that if something doesn't get light and sun, especially fear will grow. We all know the fear when your wife says, we need, can we talk, honey? For me, it's a letter. My wife would, she write a letter first because I'm a bit quicker with the mouth. And sometimes, so she write a letter. Then I'm, oh, now I'm in trouble. Mm. But God says in 2 Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love. And I want to present that timing is an important way of honoring the other individual. There's nothing worse, and I've had it. Mark, um, eight years ago, I'm like, what? I don't even remember. You must see a photo of me eight years ago. I look like a different person. I mean, thank you. I haven't moisturized for eight years. It's okay. But now you're telling me something happened eight years ago. I'm like, I've moved on. You should have too. But it means that for eight years, our relationship hasn't been honest. It means that for eight years, there's been brokenness and potential for the enemy to get in and cause chaos for eight years. So if there are relationships that have eight years attachments to the front of the statement, I would suggest have the conversation now. And if you're struggling to, well, how do I bridge the gap and how do I get there? You know how, Jesus, how God reconciled the world? He gave a gift in his son. Give a gift. I tell it to people all the time. I don't have this conversation with my boss. I don't have this conversation with my wife. You know what I know? It opens up a conversation, a gift. It sounds like a stupid little human thing. It's real. Secondly, follow the correct steps. What do I mean? Well, the Bible's full of help in every area. And there's one in Matthew 18 that's very helpful. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Gee, there's some big scriptures today, eh? Welcome to church. I want to help us. The celebration is not the end that we'd get there and do that. That's not the celebration of the scripture. Understand he goes straight on to saying, if, if I, my brother sins against me, should I forgive them three times? He says, no, 77 times. So the heart of this whole text is winning your brother. So I'm challenging the, 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 the way of the world, which is different. So it says, if a brother sins against you, go and point it out. Go out and point their fault, which means immediately. You don't need to pray about a church. I'm giving you the time off. You don't need to pray that one. 
You don't need to fast. You don't need to listen to worship CD for three hours first. You don't need to phone seven friends. You don't need to WhatsApp it to a group. You don't need to go on Facebook and ask anyone. Are you getting the point? You need to go to the person, whether it is your spouse, whether it is your mate, your friend, whether it is a colleague, whether it is a, a, a serving team leader, whatever it is, the Bible says the way to that is boom. I had a friend phone me the other day. I said something in a meeting. He's on the leadership team of the church. He said, can I have a quick coffee with you? We connected that afternoon. We had a conversation. We clarified it, and it was done. But if that had sat there, it pours a seed of doubt that the enemy loves to water. See, God's not the only gardener. There's another gardener who likes weeds. And they grow quicker, faster, and easier. He says, cut them off. How? Go to your brother or your sister. He says, actually... And, and if they listen to you, you've won them over. So we've got to understand there is no holy gossip or justifiable gospel. There's just none. And it's like, well, but I wasn't really, I was getting advice. No, here's your advice. Go to your brother and your sister. Here's your advice. Access the grace of God, find courage, and go. It's the only way. Because any other way invites the enemy in. To breed insecurity, fear, brokenness, to bring his purposes into the... And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, you're that far away from your brother and winning them over seems very far away. So this scripture is challenging because it is so different to the world. In the world, we actually don't try to win our brother over. We just try to self-justify our soul. So as long as I can get my soul to a place of neutrality... I'm winning. It's not the point. The Bible says do everything you can to win your brother over. And I wish I could stand here and tell you that I've lived perfect life in this. I haven't. I'm just a son of God on a journey trying to honor his word saying, God, would you breathe your life into every relationship? Because I promise you now, church, relationships are gold. The Bible says our relationships first with God and then with man, he breathes his life into so three things about gossip. Number one, it's divisive. To the point that in Titus, the Bible says, warn someone once for being desired, divisive, warn them twice and then have nothing to do with them. Ah. So let's just not do it at all. Let's not gossip. Second, gossip is poisonous. It's just a little bite. Just a little, oh, Dave, if I can just tell you about him, Pele. Oh, this guy. Dave's a pastor, so obviously he's going to listen to me. No, Dave must go, stop, go speak to Mpele. But Dave, I'm just really sore. No, stop, go speak to Mpele. And gossip is foolish. Point number three, take ownership of your part. Self-justification is the greatest challenge, and we know it. We justify our stuff to a point that is far beyond what the Bible gives us any space to. In Matthew 7, we are challenged, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The, chap, the point being here that when I'm engaging my brother, I'm not going, this is all on you. I'm going, there's a lack of peace here. I need peace. We need peace so the kingdom of God can come, so that we can be the signs and wonders that God calls us to the world. And that, this challenging conversation might be something massive, but it might be something small. One of my best mates, the, the guy stood at, at my wedding and said, I'll be with you, I'll be with your family, we'll do it. 
20 years later, we're still best mates. But there was a little conversation after we'd been in Cape Town of, for about eight months. I just phoned him. I said, hey, my bud, you stood at my wedding. You said you'd be there. I've hardly heard from you. I've only been gone eight months. So start picking up the phone and making a phone call. You know you're allowed to have conversations like that because you love each other, because you've been in the trenches together, because you've stood and fought for marriages. So you can have an honest conversation. And now, all the years later, we've been here for 10 years. I promise you now, he's an incredible friend. But if you want friends, you've got to fight for it. Some of you are like, yes, I could never make that phone call. <laughs> Number four, simply this, listen. When I bring a challenge, a charge, understand this, we all have blind spots. You're never going to know your blind spots. And the person on the other side might not be prepared or have the courage or they might need some time to process. Be prepared to listen. And I'm standing up here, someone who this hasn't always been my strength. I learned to speak. My weapon, chosen weapon of war as a very small teenager in a very big school was not a bicep or a tricep. It was a mouth. So I learned to speak, but God had to teach me to listen. And sometimes I fail, but I've got to continue to contend for his glory in my life. I'm just trying to encourage us to be a people who are able to do what the world cannot do, bring peace to broken relationships. Number five, attitude and an attitude adjustment. What do I mean? Well, Philippians 2 verse 4 and 5. Your attitude should be the, at, be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. The same as Jesus. Let me just free you up now. It's impossible on your own. <laughs> but with the word of God and with his spirit and the ability and submission to his word, you can be like Jesus. You can. And after 20 years of marriage, I hope that's what my wife would say. That, geez, you should have met the 20-year-old Van Pletsen, but God has done some stuff. I would love that to be the testament. Maybe one day you can say that. But, um, but, but, like, but I'd love that to be the testament. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing? But God's got to get into our attitudes. And I'm telling you, it's a challenge. Like I said, I've got my own little laboratory. Yesterday, or two days ago, the laboratory on the back seat of our car. And, and the two outer brothers are the instigators. The middle brother is the sensory guy who, he either goes very quiet or he gets very loud. That's his response. And this day was a loud day. So they knew if they just kept going, it was going to get excruciating for everyone. And so I chose to try take on the character of Jesus. My wife doesn't know. I was literally physically doing the breathing exercise. Breathe in. Hold. <laughs> breathe out. Just stay focused on the road. Don't react. Just carry on. Let them carry on. They'll realize that they are wrong. They'll realize, shut up! <laughs> Fail again. Back on the horse, trying to be like Jesus. We're all on the journey, but the call is there, the commission is there, the ability is there, and I'm telling you, we only start bringing God glory and the statistics start changing when we allow Jesus into our attitudes, where we self-justify our attitudes, our pains, our, our preferences, all those things that we know God's got to get in there and fix it because He wants His glory. Understand, this is who God is. I've been reading the scripture a lot. We're going to be speaking about it in the next series. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. I hate the scripture in the Bible that says, let your gentleness be evident to all. 
I don't want to be gentle to the people who jump the stop street every day at the stop street. I don't want to be gentle. But I don't get to do what I want. I get to be like Jesus. Two more points and maybe the band can join me. Speak truth in love. Ephesians 4 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we, grow, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. It says, how do you get to become like Christ? You speak truth. You have to speak truth in love. But either of those isolated from each other leads to chaos and brokenness. Either of them. Speaking truth without love, chaos. You'll hurt, you'll abuse, you'll break. If you're only ever speaking with love and no truth, you're not actually loving at all. Because no one's growing and no one's maturing and no one's stepping into the more. But when we find an ability to speak truth in love, we start representing Jesus. It's got to start with my marriage. You've got to understand, I married a woman who is completely different to me. We were so different when we used to date. We'd take different cars to the jaw because she would leave at 10 at an early hour. I would late, leave after it was closed because I enjoyed the mates and the thing. I'm loud. She is quieter. I want to engage a fight because that's my family who learned how to fight. She wants to write letters. <laughs> now, we've come past that over the decades, but God's got to get in there first, and then it's got to get into our relationships and our friendships, and your attitudes have to change so that we can become more like Jesus. And lastly, the focus has to be on reconciliation, not resolution. What do I mean? It's more about the future of the relationship than about agreeing with everything. It's not about the fact that I'm gonna have a fight with Dave about something so that I get him on my page. It's not that. Or that, that I change him to be, no, it's not that. It's that our relationship, there is peace. There's not unforgiveness. There's not brokenness, that there's peace. Now, I can only do what I can do. I can reach out, I can ask, and I can, I can apologize, I can do whatever. But there has to be a response. But when I do that, there's the potential and possibility of heaven breaking in. And I'm telling you, my richest relationships in this world are relationships that I've had the toughest times with at times. And I'm telling you, another fact, it's part of the reason many 40, 50, 16-year-old men don't have a lot of friends. Can I be honest? We don't like challenge. We don't like people in our space and we don't want to be honest. So what we do is we retract and we keep it to a small group where we can maintain and manage. God says, I've called you to more. I've called you to have people in your life of different backgrounds, different, whatever, so that the kingdom of God can advance. It says, focus on reconciliation. Why? Because the gospel you got given is a gospel of reconciliation. Not one of sameness, not one of hiding away and maybe over time God will fix it for me. Jesus, take the wheel. Not in this one. Can we stand together? I want to tell you, as I read the scripture, I honestly believe I am most like Jesus and you will be too when you are making peace. Not being a peace lover, but when we are becoming an agent and facilitator of reconciliation. Go study the word, it's a big word. But conflict is not something to ignore or avoid. It is an opportunity for the grace of God. I'm talking to my wife, I'm seeing behind them a couple I did the marriage of recently. I'm saying, find courage to have honest conversations. You know how many marriages I've sat with? And it's 
I've got to meet with you. I've got to get to, I've got to get to, you don't know about my wife. Okay, let's sit down. But they've never spoken. Why am I in the room? Guys, what am I doing here? You've been Christians for years. Have you spoken? Allow the grace of God to come. Because if you haven't, you've invited chaos. You sent out the invitation. You put the light up saying, come. You did that. Only you can get the way back to that space and understanding. God has got something better for us. This is not about fighting for a conflict-free church. That's too low a bar. This is about raising up an army who understands the mandate to bring and make peace in this world. You are peacemakers. You have a mandate to make peace, which means when everyone else is gossiping out the boss, you stop the gossip and you go bring truth. I'm being serious. When everyone else is going back to their offices and having conversations about that, you go back and you have the honest conversation. And as daunting as it might be, know that there is a king with you, for you, whose grace is abundant over you. This isn't possible in your own strength. This is only possible by His grace. Well, we hope you were encouraged and inspired by that word today. If you would like to know more about what's happening in the life of the church, please check out our socials on Instagram and Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, or check out our website, lifechanges.org.za. Enjoy your day.